cocooned in webs of lies about happiness and freedom, most people overwork, chained to careers they despise. Could a society without work function and also make people happier? Or would it fail because work is one of the most meaningful human pursuits? Welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of the Evolve Faster Podcast. I'm Scott Ely. Weaving Society's Web, Purpose in a Future Without Work. As if sucked into a black hole, a cocoon of darkness enveloped Carl. Though his eyes weren't real in the literal sense, he watched the brightness of the room disintegrate until there was nothing. With a swipe that nearly knocked him over, he searched for the table and the two glasses that were right in front of him just seconds before nothing. Less than dark energy. Just nothing. His heart sank as he realized the floor was gone too. Was he standing or suspended as if in a spider's web? His pulse quickened. Headquarters, can you hear me? Mike? Amy? What in the hell is this? Although he envisioned a cavernous space, he heard no echo when he yelled, and he felt nauseous at the disorientation. A familiar voice resonated from every direction. They can't hear you, Carl. What have you done to me, John? Let me out, Carl screamed. That isn't possible. There's only one way to get out. You have to play the game. What you see around you is called the original position. All new players start here. Out of the darkness, a blood red creeped toward him from all sides. It looked limitless and stretched like a wall as far as he could see. When it looked close enough to touch, he reached out. It even felt like a velvet drape. The veil covered his vision in all directions. Carl tried calling again. Guys, can you hear me? I said, get me out. I told you, Carl, John interrupted. Your team might have found me in the real world, but you're caught in my web as well. They still think you're stalling until they triangulate me. When you have an entire world at your disposal, it doesn't take much to simulate a fake conversation. What do you want from me? Carl tried to growl the reply, but he knew it sounded futile. I only want you to give it a try, John replied. You don't even have to spend your precious monthly UBI to play like everyone else. But remember, I do have your DNA and like all players, your avatar in here is inexorably linked to you. You can't start over and you only get this one chance to make the best decision about your position in this virtual world. Just like the real world, there can only be one version of you. But unlike when you're born, here you have a choice on how the world works. So all you have to do is play and after some time, you'll be free to go. Good luck, my time is running low and my body isn't as strong in real life as it is in the virtual world. Listen to me, John, Carl said. If you don't let me out right now, you'll regret ever meeting me. John, John. But Carl knew he was alone. A window, glowing soft white, appeared within the veil. Oddly, he could both hear and read the words as they appeared. Welcome to Silk. When you start, you'll be a new person. Your age, ethnicity, gender, location, wealth, social position, 
even health, will be randomly selected based on what you choose. The possibilities of who you are and what you can become in Silk are endless. You could end up at the top, middle, or very bottom of the social or economic ladder. As the game is linked to your DNA, there is no way to choose again, and you will forever live with your decision. Choose what? Carl asked the darkness. Two new windows appeared instead of the one with the words, the choice, hovering above. One said Maximin, and the other said Minimax. The words continued. If you choose Maximin, you'll live in a world where even the unluckiest will live a good life. This is an option for a society of complete equality, no matter what circumstances you are randomly assigned. Carl next turned his eyes to Minimax, and the voice continued. Or you can choose Minimax, where you'll live in a world where only the luckiest will have a better life. This is an option for a society of complete inequality, where the quality of your existence will be determined by the random luck of being either born well or not. Carl tried to calm his nerves. He tried to imagine suddenly becoming, say, a blind and deaf woman living in Siberia. Horrible combinations of fates he'd never suffered in life bombarded his thoughts. Poverty, hunger, religious intolerance about sexuality, racism, no opportunity, sickness. He'd never experienced a shred of any of these things. Why? Because he was born lucky. That's it. There was no other reason. He'd never even thought about this before. The game dinged and reminded him he had to choose what kind of society would he want to be born into, knowing that he would be randomly assigned to a position in that society. Suddenly worried the option would disappear, he swiped erratically at the maximum option and also yelled, Maximum! Maximum! at the same time. The endless veil began to open, shattering the darkness. Carl doubled over in pain in his stomach as he emerged from the suspended animation into the light of a new reality inside an unfamiliar bedroom. Two men sat at a glass table, facing each other as if playing a game of chess. On the table sat two tall, thin water glasses. There's no board, Carl thought, but this is definitely a game of chess. The small windowless room looked like a sterile medical office where you waited for a doctor, except there was no decor at all. Carl Schulz wore a generic Navy suit that looked as if it were government issued. Everything about him looked serious, except his hair, which was wild, like a lion's mane. Opposing Carl sat a much younger and smaller man. John Weber wore a white t-shirt, jeans, and fitted eyeglasses. His spiky blonde hair was his most prominent feature. John gestured to Carl's hair and said, well, I didn't see that coming. Give a man options and... Mr. Weber, Carl cut him off. It's obvious we can no longer allow your VR project to go on. Silk is sucking people's universal basic income dry. If you're expecting the government to give even more UBI to all the citizens spending it on your game each month, I'm afraid that isn't possible. As you know, suicide rates and antidepressant use 
have both skyrocketed since you launched. I'm disgusted that I had to share my genome with your team. I only agreed to it to ensure this meeting happened. John adjusted his glasses, then replied, his voice even, his tone cool. Believe me, Carl, it doesn't bring me pleasure to torture you with my presence either. So please don't torture me with false statistics. We both know that suicide rates had skyrocketed long before I launched Silk. And drugs? Please, the correlation to depression is far stronger to your government's implementation of universal basic income and making work illegal than it is to my game. Let's recap what happened here, since you seem to be forgetting the timeline. First, it was the logical casualties, the likes of cashiers and drivers, that all lost their work. Then the tidal wave of white-collar AI and robotics drown out all but the top doctors, lawyers, bankers, accountants, and, well, every job that's repeatable on which we had lots of data, which is pretty much all of them. I think the creatives were the most blindsided. Turned out that feeding the most advanced learning neural networks chewed up and spit out any author, musician, painter, or artist of any kind trying to compete with its multi-sensory creative potential. It's very clear to me that's where the problem started. Somehow I don't think the world saw this coming, even though it was completely obvious to us in the tech sector. To be fair though, even I didn't think it would happen in less than a decade. Yes, Carl interrupted, but we had comprehensive UBI before that tidal wave, as you call it, even crested fully. John replied, looking off to the left. You know, if you'd only introduced UBI, it's possible that everything would have been okay. But it's just never about what's good for the people, is it? Even in a world without money, this decision was still about those at the top wanting, needing more, wasn't it? Greed. Those handful of tech royalty who took over everything with their near-general AIs, and the politicians they owned, of course, then also just had to make work illegal, too. I mean, it's brilliant in retrospect. What's a more effective business model than having every single citizen as an auto-paying fool instead of treating them as humans and helping them with the most important next step, life after work? What's sad is that I remember reading before all this happened about the richest 62 people controlling half of the wealth of the world. And I thought that was shocking at the time. Slamming his hand on the table, Carl fired back. Your generation can always find something to complain about, can't you? You're too young to remember. You never had to spend eight hours in a lifeless cubicle like this room making spreadsheets that no one cared about. John leaned forward and said with a cold tone, giving people money doesn't solve sadness and feeling valueless. Sure, that money keeps you alive and entertained, but there's nothing you can do with it that will ever fire up your imagination or give you purpose. Not when the same government that gives you free money also forbids work. Unless, of course, you're one of the gilded ones allowed to work for the government in one of the few industries left. Carl scoffed then said, you're painting the government as some dystopian disaster, but we solved the problem, Weber. We freed people from doing the jobs they didn't want to do, and we made sure they're 100% safe financially. People can do whatever they want now. 
and you keep changing the focus away from you stealing people's UBI. It's all they have, and you're taking it from them illegally. With his arms resting on the glass table, John sat in silence, picking his next words. You got rid of work, but you didn't replace it with anything. You gave people UBI, made work outside of the government illegal, and called it a day. It's almost like some sort of twisted reverse communism you created. Quite a psychological mind-bender to force your countrymen to endure. As a high-ranking government official, more or less the only work that remains legal, I'm sure you don't have much free time on your hands. But imagine a life where you have all the free time in the world. You can travel or take a hobby, but there's only so much satisfaction in creating art that no one's allowed to buy. If you're going to destroy the economy, especially in a country where work is seen as a religion, you have to replace it with something. People used to spend half their lives working, and in America, they measured themselves by this yardstick. I'm not implying that's the best measure. I think it clearly was not. But if you're going to make that yardstick illegal, you have to think long and hard about what to replace it with. And because your government didn't do so, I took it upon myself to do so. Fortunately, a wise man helped me see that technology alone can't make the world a better place. Only a mindset shift about the human condition and rethinking human nature can do that. And that is why I created Silk. Carl replied, You continually forget the only reason you and your team aren't in jail is that you agreed to meet. Your little business has already caused enough sadness and death to put you behind bars for life. And you'll be glad to know we have your little sage trapped in the web as well. Carl let the thought of those found dead, still connected to Silk, to sink in. John fell silent, his face contorted in a grimace as if he'd been sucker punched. Carl kicked him while he was down and said, you've gone awfully quiet, Mr. Weber. Why is that? Did the weight of your actions finally find their way to your conscience? At least it appears you have one. John's words started slowly. The only reason I said yes to this meeting was the possibility of figuring out a way to solve this issue. The incidence of these accidents is an unintended consequence of how deep the immersive VR experience is for players. That, coupled with extremely high levels of player satisfaction compared to their experience in the real world. Carl ignored the justification and needled John with more details. Maybe you're thinking about a man found dead yesterday in his bed. I saw the pictures, John. He looked like a skeleton. But I do know the man had a wife and child, yet he spent his family's monthly UBI on your dangerous game. It appeared he died of gross malnutrition and his muscles atrophied to the point of a near-complete inability to move. He looked like a meditating skeleton. John replied, of course I saw the photo. Your AI content bots plastered it everywhere. I don't take these incidents lightly and I'm here to fix the problem. As long as you're here with the mutual desire to fix the problems your government systems are causing which is vastly more systemic and widespread than these occasional VR overdoses. If you put anything out there, someone will find a way to abuse it. Not taking the bait, Carl said. Well, it's amazing the guy didn't die with his hand in his pants. Who wouldn't overdose in the hedonistic world of sex and drugs? 
John lifted his eyes towards Carl, looking at him first with disgust, then intrigue, before saying, Wait, you actually believe this is what happens in Silk? This rumor is the most ridiculous of all the slander about Silk. You know, I had my team analyze the records. Not a single person from your agency has ever even tried the game. Instead, you just spread outlandish propaganda against it. Sex and drugs are easy to get in the real world. Why in the hell would people go looking for a fix in a virtual world? Besides, people learn quickly that these aren't lasting fixes to their problems. You know what? I never thought about it before, but you guys trying to shut down Silk is like when the government outlawed psychedelics in the 1960s out of fear, even though no substances in history have ever showed so much clinical potential to solve the depression epidemic. Most of those hypocrites had never even tried LSD or mushrooms. So once again, the people suffer. Do you know what kind of psychological trauma you're going to cause for the millions of players of the game who are finally happy again because Silk exists? You're going to... Carl interrupted. No, Silk is their problem. And what they're going to do is rejoin real life. John looked like he might kick over the table. He pointed his finger at Carl as he said, you don't even know what happens in Silk, and yet here you are negotiating with me. We've built something that actually changes lives, not destroys them. You won't believe what it can do, and we're only getting started. With an ugly smirk on his face, Carl replied, Your game is killing people and hurting society. That's all I need to know. Only thing I can't figure out, Mr. Weber, is exactly how you're taking people's UBI. The algorithm should be bulletproof, and only accessible to the very small pool of approved services, a list that Silk is certainly not on. Clutching his fist, John replied, you know I won't tell you that. And you know if you don't tell us, Carl threatened, your little criminal venture comes to an end. We haven't found you yet, but we will. John's face revealed the truth of this statement. After pausing, he said, Carl, we've been arguing for quite some time now with zero progress. You told me the government gave you authority as their representative to fix this. So please, let's try to find a middle ground. Carl smirked. And how do you propose we do that? We shake hands and I say, good luck and keep up the good work. You're killing people, John. I won't stand for that. No, John said. We figure out a partnership. I give you back a fair percentage of the UBI we earn in exchange for decriminalizing our platform. This way, you earn back the UBI leakage, I get to continue my work, and a huge percentage of this country get to keep benefiting from the virtual world they love. This also enables us to minimize the unfortunate casualties both of our systems are causing. I think we can fix almost all of it if we join forces, so to speak. I don't see another way to... Carl laughed loudly and cut Weber off. Earn. Now that's a word I haven't heard in a long time. And we all had a good laugh at the partnership idea you sent us. It will take more than that 35% industrial age tax idea of yours to come to an agreement. Also, you need us way more than we need you. John replied, Sorry, I forgot. You don't care about what's best for your citizens. I'm not... A sudden flickering of the color of the walls made John sit bolt upright. Carl smiled and said, I guess you're not as smart of a guy as you thought, Mr. Weber. Unfortunately, it's too late. 
To be honest, I didn't think a tech guy like you would fall for such a cliched trick. John looked worried, but as Carl spoke, he pulled a device out of his pocket and quickly typed something. Carl reflexively reached for his own pocket, but in the virtual pants pocket of the suit he'd chosen when entering the game, he came up empty. He didn't even find a pocket there. It felt like a trick, but having noticed the glitch himself, he knew his team was making progress on locating Weber in the real world. I have to say, Mr. Weber, your surname fits you well. Everyone remembers your infamous interview where you preached that technology will save us all, then proceeded to collapse on stage due to having too much technology running through your veins. Carl chided, barking out a condescending laugh. Yet you decided to keep yourself young in the virtual world, even 20 years later. Why is that, John? You don't like how time is treating you in the real world? You know, we have tech back in the real world that can make you look younger and even prolong your life. But the problem is you're an evil spider weaving a web where people get caught in the cheapest of human desires. Society has suffered enough at your hands and I'm here to make sure we squash the bug. John stood up and continued typing on the device as if Carl wasn't even in the room. What's wrong, John? Sit down and relax. You got caught in your own web, it seems. But you, John whirled around and cut him off, saying, Carl, don't worry about the UBI. This round is on me. Carl replied, but then stopped. What in the hell are you talking about? You'll soon... John disintegrated as Carl watched, unable to move. Even though he knew it wasn't real, it was difficult to watch someone just evaporate. Carl swiped at the table between them to fling it aside and leap at Weber. But instead of flipping the table and water glasses to the other side of the room, his hand passed through the air and he almost toppled over. Soon, everything, Weber, the glasses, the table, and the entire room evaporated like steam coming off of a hot coffee cup. He was the only thing left, suspended in space like a fly in a spider's web, as if sucked into a black hole a cocoon of darkness enveloped Carl. Feeling as if someone landed, a combination of hard punches to his gut, Carl unfurled himself and opened his eyes. He was in an unfamiliar bedroom. The moment his eyes opened, the pain disappeared. How did Weber make all of this feel so real? The blood red veil was gone. And as he got up off the ground, Carl saw a small bed clothes, books, magazines, and a table with a laptop and a phone. It felt like a freshman year dorm room. He walked to the window and saw scenes of regular life outside. People walking dogs, cars driving, and the sun shining down. He stuck his head out of the window. It was all so real, so normal looking. The all white windowless interview room was one thing. The suspended in a spider's web feeling of floating in midair before pulling back the veil was another. But this? This was a whole other level of surreal. How in the hell had Weber pulled this off? He really felt like all of this was real. He could smell the fresh air, feel the warm sun on his face, hear the kids playing outside, touch his own skin. Which, wait a minute, his skin was black and he was short. He touched his face and hair, definitely not his. 
He looked around the room and ran over to the full-length mirror he saw hanging on the back of the door. Staring back at him was a good-looking black kid, early 20s, probably about 5'5", wearing hipster clothes. It was unsettling to look at an alternative physical version of himself, but still think like Carl. Back in the interview room, he'd chosen his physical appearance for the meeting, so that felt like a video game. But being assigned this avatar, and knowing this was his new persona forever, at least in this VR world, was mind-blowing. Carl picked up a magazine to check the cover. In bold letters, the cover said, New public transport system increases V by 27%. As he tried to figure out what the news title meant, the phone on the desk started ringing. He snatched it up and said, John, is that you? Get me out of here right now. Carl stood motionless as he listened to an unknown voice. Finally, he replied, Uh, okay, yes, this is George Miller speaking, and yes, writing is my passion, but I've never had, well, okay, I guess you're right. I've never made the time for it since college. How in the hell do you know all this about me? As he hung up the phone, he looked out, and as promised, a taxi pulled up out front. The man behind the wheel got out of his car and waved up at him, saying, Hi, George. Nice to meet you. Whenever you're ready, I'll take you to your interview. Carl, or George, that would take some getting used to, went back to the mirror. Looking at his new self, he laughed at the absurdity of it all. But he couldn't deny the illusion was powerful. And he was intrigued. First of all, why in the hell was there what seemed to be a real taxi driver waiting for him outside as if it was the year 2000? He gathered up the laptop and all the other items that seemed purposely left for him to take, threw them into the bag, and headed out into this brave new world of virtual work. Carl opened his eyes. The light burned. In addition to the blunt pains he felt in his stomach when entering Silk, he was also met with sharp pains in his neck and back. He hurt all over, really. Even flexing his fist made him wince at the stiffness. But unlike in the virtual world, this pain didn't vanish as quickly as it arrived. He's back. Carl, please try to stay calm. You've been out for some time. He recognized the voice as his assistant, Amy. Carl's eyes came back into focus, and he squinted at the bright lights. Feeling around on himself to figure out what state he was in, his hand brushed over tubes coming out of his abdomen. He tried to look down and said, What the hell is all this? Amy replied, Well, you see, Carl, John Weber notified us you'd be in the virtual world of silk for some time, without any ability to exit on your own so we needed to connect you to a feeding tube. Ah, he thought. Now the sharp pain in the stomach when entering Silk made sense. Everything hurt back here in the real world. But in thinking back, he realized there was no pain at all in there. In there, everything was near perfect. He shook his head, trying to push away the thoughts. This is the real world, he tried to convince himself. This is the real world. How long was I out, he asked. About 16 days, sir, Amy replied. He tried to force himself up, but the pain rocked his body from head to toe. He winced again and tried to relax back onto the bed, breathing like an old elephant with a plug in his trunk. Only two weeks? 
Wait, is this still 2042? Um, yes, sir, the year is still 2042. But I'm not sure I understand. What article? Amy asked. Realizing she was more confused than him, Carl changed the topic. Where's John Weber? Did we catch him? Um, no, sir. He got away. He wasn't where we pinpointed him. It was a ruse. And then, once he had you held hostage in silk, she trailed off, then continued. There wasn't much we could do. I'm sorry, sir. It took every bit of remaining strength in Carl's atrophying muscles to hold back a smile. Two men sat at a glass table, facing each other, as if playing a game of chess. On the table sat two tall, thin water glasses. But this time, there was no game playing involved. Their scrambled eggs arrived, and they both began eating. The man with the glasses and spiky blonde hair emptied his glass in a couple long sips. As he set down the glass, he asked his companion, How are you, Carl? Carl laughed. Well... I'm George in here, but I do feel like Carl when I'm speaking with you, based on our history. You're right, these eggs are fantastic. Somehow better than the real thing. Although I have to say, it's getting hard for me to decide which of my, um, lives is the real one anymore. How did you achieve this? Smiling, the blonde man replied, It's simpler than you think. Once you get into the process, it becomes far easier to create things that simply tap the right parts of the brain and nervous system in the right ways. We also had another quantum leap when we started leveraging each person's unique genome to customize the experience. Our original versions felt more like regular video games until we brought the neuroscientists and bioengineers into the VR creation process. And now with all the amateur makers working in here using our API, it's it's exciting to watch. I mean, these days, Silk is more of a biotech and genetics business than a software company. Luckily, there were some silver linings to the real-world economy being shuttered. All of the best expertise had nowhere to go. So going underground in Silk was one of the only options, since starting in a legal business out there in the real world is too risky. I can attest to that. The only reason we've been able to thrive is that we have better technology talent than you. I mean, than they do. Carl took a moment and looked outside the restaurant. On the other side of the road, kids were building sandcastles in a park sandbox. A bulldog chased a tennis ball across the grass. You almost wouldn't know, Carl thought, unless someone told you. And even then, Carl turned back to the table and said, I know you keep a low profile in here, so can I just call you John? Anyway, the underground movement of talent is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. First off, I really just want to thank you. I mean, I, I can't even verbalize how being in here has changed my life, my lives. You were right, those overdoses we publicized are like drug addictions. Now I realize that's not the norm at all. You'll always have compulsive and addictive personalities. It's simply a matter of responsible management, and your new nourishment devices have helped tremendously. But the amazing thing to me is how much being able to explore my creative side and write for a living in here has changed my life in the real world as well. 
I spend all my free time outside of Silk now with my kids, and they do the same. My son is a musician in here, and my daughter is becoming a doctor. To think we can do all this. John beamed with pride in the fabricated reality his company had constructed from scratch, one digital atom at a time. Carl continued, I'm thinking of evolving to write about Silk itself. I'd like to shine some light on what this world really is. There's just so much misinformation out there. John gave a surprised look and said, That's amazing, Carl. You've come a long way from someone trying to capture me to being willing to risk your freedom in the real world for the betterment of Silk. You realize all the risks of doing crossover work, I assume. Telling the real world about Silk puts you at risk of being put in jail out there. They've come down on journalists harder than anyone because of those few stories that skyrocketed our enrollments. Just the thought of working again, but for adding value instead of earning money, makes people willing to take risks and try out the game. John paused and leaned forward before continuing. You should especially avoid topics implying that Silk is becoming, well, the new real world. Since much of the population outside of Silk still thinks it's a source of digital debauchery, they certainly won't understand how quickly it's evolving. We've just had our first, well, silk-born baby. As you know, this became a possibility back before version 4.0 even came out. But now, now I'm quite sure there will be a generation of children here who won't ever see what we're calling the real world. So this is not something the general population is ready for yet. Carl replied, So the first story I want to do is to try to explain V and how it's earned and how it's not the same as money. It's really hard for people to grasp a different kind of capitalism, a different society, really, where money doesn't change hands. It's about mutual value. I think my first angle will be explaining how the silk-wide upgrades work to pull everyone together. It's very counterintuitive to people in the real world that the version 4.8 upgrade you gave to us was a recession. But that pulled us all together more than the superficial visual upgrades we'd earned in the previous release. It's, it's really brilliant. You might not even be old enough to realize this, but in my generation, many saw work as painful instead of just a mere extension of who we are or could be personally. And that doesn't mean passion, it means mastery of what's the right fit for you. Work then was almost half of people's waking lives, yet they put little thought into doing something aligned with their values or goals. Half your life not aligned with who you are or adding value to the world. I never realized how sad it was until Silk. Of course, a big part of the problem is the system within most are forced to live, and the jobs available many times were awful. But you were right, UBI was the opportunity to replace it with something better, but we didn't do it. John smiled then said, Yes, that's the same insight a dear friend helped me realize back when Silk was an entirely different idea in my head. The capitalism we had before AI took over and the resultant shutdowns of individuality is not the only brand of capitalism that's possible. We've proved that. Finding what you should be doing with your work life is actually simple. What would you do for free? After mapping this idea to people's genome when they first log in, 
we've honed our onboarding process and now get most people engaged in a passionate career and earning Collective V on their very first try. Carl nodded, remembering the strange call he received when first arriving in Silk. It was like getting a call from his own subconscious. The recollection reminded him of something. I have to say, John, I was really confused at first when I was being presented with the veil of ignorance when you made me play Silk that first time. That thought experiment of forcing me to not know anything about who I might become, personal value, race, religion, gender, before I was able to choose the principles defining the society I wanted to live in, whoa, I mean, it blew my mind. I couldn't select maximum for a fully equal society fast enough. It wasn't even until that moment that I realized in the real world, we're all behind a different kind of veil of ignorance. Most people don't know or pause to consider how well off we were born. But here in Silk, we have fair equality, comprehensive liberal rights, freedom of conscience, and I was almost going to say economic opportunity. But the way you've structured V and the collective upgrades has made it even better than economic. So I now see that inequality in the real world derived from every failed economic system. And when you take work from people, it's like taking away part of their mind, body, and soul. It's not about the money, it's about the value you add. It's about digging deep to find that creative thing that will help make the world tick a little better. In here, we are the work and the work is us. The value itself is the practice of happiness through selflessness and a deep human desire to help others. I'm not sure if the real world is set up in a way to enable this to work out there. Carl gestured with his hand to the world of silk evolving around them as they spoke. Even though Carl knew John's face was a digital representation, he'd never seen a smile so genuine in as many years in either of his lives. After pausing to let John enjoy a well-earned moment of praise for the world he'd created, Carl said, Oh, there's something I've been wanting to ask you. Has anyone ever chosen Minimax? John laughed. From the wealthiest people in the world down to the least fortunate people to play Silk, never once has anyone chosen Minimax. And you want to know the ironic part? If you'd have chosen Minimax, you would have gotten the exact thing you thought you wanted back then. What do you mean, Carl asked? Because Minimax simply sends you back to the real world, which itself is so masterful at inequality that there's no reason to even create a virtual version. The Evolve Faster podcast is written, produced, and performed by Scott Ely. Many episodes are also co-written with the help of Antonio Rosich. It takes an enormous effort to produce all the quality, original content needed for this podcast. Your support would be greatly appreciated, and you can learn about multiple ways to do so by going to evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Here you'll find direct links to review and give the podcast five stars on key platforms like iTunes and share it on social media. These are free to do, but are critical to audience growth. And the only way to find out about new seasons 
is to register your email, so please do so. You will only receive valuable content and information on upcoming seasons and products. And finally, if you're benefiting from the Evolve Faster podcast, direct financial support at whatever amount you can afford is important for our survival. Running ads on a channel for free thinking content is an inherent conflict of interest. So if you want the podcast content to remain unhindered by commercial interests and stay edgy and raw, then direct support is the best and only path to content independence. Also, writing and production of each episode of the Evolve Faster podcast is a major undertaking spanning many months. It's a labor of love, but it does need your help to survive. So please consider becoming a subscriber at evolvefaster.com forward slash subscribe. Your help and support are greatly appreciated and are what makes this podcast possible. Isn't it time for an upgrade? It's time to evolve faster. Evolve faster.